Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform business and themselves. And as we know at the moment, things were a little bit doom and gloom. So we wanted to bring some light into the situation. So today's guest is Anthony Wysom who's just joined Costa Coffee after a whopping 14 years at Waitrose, where he was head of customer propositions and store development. Um, Absolutely love working with Anthony. I've worked with him for many, many years, and he's become a friend of mine as well. So it's it's brilliant talking to you today, Anthony, and thanks for making time. That's all right. I I mean, I'm fascinated to see how I qualified for your your bold thinking. I'm sure you'll draw something out. Um, I I, I, I just figured that main qualification is that... (laughs) I'm from Wellington and you're from Hadley, so, look, you know, look. for our Shropshire <laughs> listeners, um, you know, we, I, I grew up in the shining city on the hill that you, you know, aspired to. You know what, that's <laughs> one of the things, me and Anthony grew up very, very close to each other and then hit the bright lights of London many years later, so we've got a lot of things in common. Um, so first, is it, this is a celebration of two of the eleven people that ever left Shropshire, isn't it? <laughs> no, very true. So, question first off, tell us about your new role as global served platforms director at Costa Coffee. That'd be quite an exciting move for you, Anthony. <laughs> uh, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I haven't started it yet, so um, so I can't tell you um, a vast amount. But uh, but it's um, it's a, I mean, it, it's a market which. Um, I've always found fascinating without being in. I've consumed a huge amount of coffee over the last 20 years. And, and actually, probably, um, if I think of, you know, all the research trips that we've done over over all that time, I you know, you, there's certain things that stand out that when you see them, you, you kind of figure that there's something new there that may just become big. And, and I, I, you know, I remember my first, my first Starbucks, um, which was you know, probably Chicago in sort of the late nineties and, and, and going in and just seeing this, um, you know, at the time, this place that just seemed very, very cool and very, very different from the, the sort of, um, coffee shops that I'd seen before, um, full of people who seemed very, very cool. And and you just kind of figured that this might be going somewhere. And, and, and over the last 20 years, it's, it's gone enormously. And, and, and what's interesting about Costa is that they kind of saw the same thing. They, you know the the Whitbread team who who were in charge at the time um, saw that and then acted incredibly quickly. Um, bought the small cost coffee chain as it was and have grown it, you know, to thirty countries. Um, obviously, huge business in the UK. Um, so yeah, so I, I can't wait because you know they're now now owned by Coca Cola. They want to get bigger still. They want to go more global. This will be the first first role where I'm. You know, I feel. Well, I, I've got a global brief, not just to go and look globally, but to actually um, influence. And um, yeah, looking forward to getting started. It's really exciting. So I I, I met Anthony many, many years ago um, when he was working at Waitrose, even though we did grow up very, very close to each other in, in the Shropshire. Um, so Anthony, you know, you worked in Waitrose for many years. So how does it feel to move on from Waitrose, your home for so many years? You know, you made a lot of big impacts and changes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I, I think it's, it's important. Um, I, I think it's important to leave a business quite early on in your career. Because um, I mean, I, I, my first post was I was a graduate at Sainsbury's and did a did 
10 years or so. And, and, you know, partly because I was sort of young and, and fairly cocky, I, I kind of figured that Sainsbury's sort of to some degree revolved around me. And you, you need to, you need to leave somewhere to realize quite how quickly you're forgotten. I mean, I think, you know, you, in the end, you, you know, there's this sort of weirdness about it, isn't there? You, 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 you jump onto some particular train and you pour your sort of heart and effort and huge amounts of hours and thought into it. Um, uh, and then at some point you, you jump off that train um, and it carries on. Um, and, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for someone to sort of put a blue plaque above your desk, you're probably, um, probably going to be waiting a while. And, um, and so um, I, I figured um, with Waitrose that, that uh, you know, 14 years was great, but, but actually the, the deal was always that, that the work had to be amazing. And, and, um, and I was really lucky. So for 10 or 11 years from the start, I was, I was, you know, I just got to do incredibly fun stuff that was important to the business um, where you could see the impact you were having, where you enjoyed hugely uh, the company of the people you were working with every day. And I think that, you know, uh, when you, you know, when you're faced with a choice around leaving, as I was, you've got to look at, um, at whether you're going to be, you know, if you stay, you're going to have more fun than you did before or whether you're going to have less. And, and, and actually, if you can't answer that categorically, if you, if you think you've had all the really good stuff and some of your best pals have disappeared and, and the work is perhaps going to be um, tougher for a period of time. I think you've really got to consider doing something new. You know, life does get a bit short at that point. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you were—I think you were—you were quite brave around that. You took—you you took, you, you took uh, six months sabbatical. Was it six months mm. you've had? Feels like longer. Uh, <laughs> to those yeah, watching endlessly on. Yeah, but um, yeah, but it was the first time I'd ever sort of stepped away from work, and there was a there was an opportunity to do it. Um, uh, you know. I to uh, confess to, to returning to, to Shropshire's Greenlands to bring up bring up the family and and so so I, we took the view that that actually the one thing that we wouldn't concentrate on just in the short term was work we'd go and do everything else and get the family set up and buy the house and do all the faffing about so 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 I you know it it, it didn't feel that brave at the time and it uh, um you know, I think it would have probably got braver if if, if you'd been sort of on the sidelines for for a lot longer. But um, but uh, you know, I like to think that people should be able to do these things. I hope that, that life gets a bit more flexible. I don't think you should. You know, I think there should be more of a sort of um, a market for people coming in and going out of things as and when they are of use, rather than hanging on in a business for for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So, Anthony, tell us about your boldest business idea. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know who else you interviewed on this podcast, Julia, but you know, if it was, if it was Richard Branson, then I'm going to disappoint you. The, um, uh, I mean, I think you've got to remember that I, I think being the, I've worked in food, I'm worked in food retail for 25 years and an awful lot of food retail in that time hasn't changed very much. Um, uh, I can I can wax lyrical on this subject, but actually, if you the, the real sort of hero of supermarkets was a guy called Clarence Saunders, who I, I used to do a really dull 
lecturer about this, um, who who set up a, a, a business called Piggly Wiggly in the US in, in just over 100 years ago. Um, and and he kind of took care of supermarketing. He, for, he took it from kind of, you know, Arkwright-type stores to, um, you know, to something which overnight had turnstiles at the beginning and the end. It had shopping baskets. It had self-serve. It had checkouts. He, he basically half-nailed the model. Um, a uh, hundred years earlier, and 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 an awful lot of supermarket executives have got very wealthy in the intervening hundred years, basically doing the same thing and doing it a lot, um, and doing it in bigger shops and smaller shops, which is basically the primary innovation that turned up until until sort of online kicked in, um, and so um, I think one of the sort of interesting things about about my time in in supermarketing has been it's been actually that the um the the appetite for entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism and the appetite for for new ideas is is generally quite small it scares people most most people are there um trying quite hard to repeat tomorrow what they did yesterday um perhaps very slightly more efficiently um and and someone who arrives in a boardroom um you know, full of new ideas is seen either as some kind of terrorist or, 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 or as a sort of, um, you know, a bit of a sort of vaudeville act who, who, who's, who's just allowed in every now and again to, to sort of tick the innovation box, which they can then quietly reject when the FD takes a closer look at it. And, and so, um, so I think, um, you know, in, in that context, it, it's interesting to look back and you look at the, the genuinely bold ideas you've had and, 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 um, and what happened to them and then you look at what's worked and and for me um you know look at a couple of different things i mean perhaps the, i mean the, the one that got away um although it didn't feel like it at the time was when we we set up what became little waitrose which was um waitrose's convenience business and we did that back in 2008 and we we did a great piece of work great piece of innovation work and we we ended up with four concepts one of those concepts when you dig it out, I actually found the picture the other day. Um, looks almost exactly like an Amazon Go store, which which um, is, is about to probably litter the UK in, in, um, fairly soon. But actually, is 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 effectively a a, a store with no people in it. It's, you know, you 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 scan yourself in, you pick up what you want, you scan out, and and fifty yards down the road, your phone pings to tell you um, that you paid for it. And it's genius, um, and actually, we had we actually we did that. We had that concept. We tested it on customers. Uh, the customers um, generally hated it uh, because it just sounded foreign and diffident and and somewhat lacking in um, any kind of atmosphere. Um, and so we put it to one side and did a perfectly serviceable um, and a very actually very nice um, format, which which was differentiated from. Um, from the market as it was, but not, I think, probably not sufficiently to to have, you know, taken it to, you know, global domination. Which, which, when you look back, you think, well, you know, maybe we should have done the tough one. Um, you know, it probably wasn't viable within within the context of the business. But, but you you look back and you think, well, there's a bold idea. Someone else had it. You know, admittedly, Jeff Bezos probably had a slightly better climate for driving major technical innovation but actually 10 years later someone does it 
brilliantly um, and the world takes notice and you kind of sort of look back and think, oh, oh well, as was quite nice at the time. Um, I, I think, you know, if you actually look at ideas that have gone in and made money um, and, and have scaled, there aren't that many in UK retailing where if you actually look at, you know, right through the store, most of it is, you know, the whole chunks of it are, are broadly the same. The one, the one that I feel quite good about is, you know, we is is sushi, which um, uh, we um, I managed to persuade Waitrose to 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 initially test and then and then scale quite rapidly. And um, but uh, but actually, how you do that is is kind of a little bit for all the wrong reasons. You 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 know, I I was persuaded very early on because. I'd met the people who were beginning to do it on the continent. I thought I'd seen it work in the US. I um, I, I loved the theatre of watching um, people prepare sushi really, really well in store, and it met any bunch of customer needs. You know, it, it, it you know waitress customers like you know are fairly well travelled. They've got a pretty broad taste palette. They love food. Um, they are generally healthy they appreciate convenience so i was pretty sure that a lot of that was going to work um but actually a lot of that then doesn't um really move the dial in a risk averse uh business uh, the things that really move the dial and, and where you actually i think spend a lot of your time being clever is is, is, is rather than creating opportunity you have to take the risk away um, and I think to get bullet, this is this is probably the the, the, the real lesson for um, for big businesses is is um, is is actually quite often it, it's it's giving them the opportunity to say there really is no risk here you can do this and you can't possibly do worse than you're doing right now is 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 almost the argument and so with with sushi we we managed to prove that we've got s- some stuff that was performing so badly you know some pretty moribund sort of hot chicken counters and things tucked away where the space was so terrible anyway that you really couldn't go wrong. You, you, you paid someone to take over that space uh, or you, you asked someone to come and take over that space. And aside from the cost of fitting it out, there was no other thing to do. And, um, and, and so that and um, the sort of get out plan if it doesn't work and, and the fact that actually you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to train anyone. You didn't have to, um, you know, go out and market it particularly, it was all taken, it was a, it was a package. You, you just made it too um, hard to say no to. Um, and, you know, you're probably selling 40 or 50 million in Waitrose. It was copied by just about everyone. Um, you know, it's in, it's in M&S, Asda, Tesco. They've all had a good go. I just thought 80, 100 million uh, market now, very profitable. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'm proud of it, not because I think it's the greatest innovation on the planet, but because actually um, we were able to um, to find a way of pleasing the, the key decision makers in a business who, who often are not particularly keen on entrepreneurialism. And they do need um, that tough financial argument that says that actually, you know, this one's safe, you can give it a whirl and uh, and we'll we'll take it from there. Well, that's interesting because you know what have you learned about customers through that? Because customers actually, you know, do they like change or don't they like change? I mean, businesses inherently are a little bit, you know, adverse to it, adverse to risk, and adverse to innovation. What do customers want? Uh, 
customers are um, the, the, customers are hard to view as a collective. Um, <laughs> they, um, <laughs> I think it's best to say. I mean, I, I, I think. I mean, if if I have a strength at all, it is in it is in it's in my i think the way i appreciate customers i think I, I, there's a lot of people who claim to understand customers i think that's trite i, I think you you can you can you can t- interrogate the data um but actually um customers are individuals and i think when you try and group them too much you um you can get into trouble um i i think she was interesting actually the, i mean what what happened there was we we um we launched it in for the first store in um, Battersea, it was a new store we just opened in um, where they're building, next to the American Embassy, where they're just building skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper. Um, and we opened it and, it and it went off like an absolute train. And actually we thought, well, must be all those posh customers. And it wasn't. It was all the Polish builders who, <laughs> uh, who absolutely <laughs> loaded it in. So, um, uh, but actually, I mean, the what you found was that um, – the customers um if it's interesting and it's fun and it's and and, and there's a big um sort of what it uh, or but watch out here but if, it, if it's good and and it appeals to certain customers then you find that they educate each other so what was quite funny in sort of some of the heartland stores was that um the uh sort of um teenage children of, of traditional waitress customers were excited by the sushi and were then uh, educating their parents on why it was good to eat and and, and actually getting them to, to, to enjoy it and and so it, uh, you know it it's um it was it was one of those where where if it's if it's of a quality and it, and it has a certain customer posture, i mean you know you know you can take it too far um didn't sell a lot of sushi in Abergavenny, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not sure we're going to sell much in the future. But but um, but actually, if you if you if it's good and, and a tranche of customers like it, then they will they will help um, expand that market in time. The the interesting thing is that if you if it's not um, good, or if you've mangled the shop, if you've tortured the shop and moved everything around in a way that customers don't perceive as necessary. Um, then you're for it. Um, you know, I, I, there are certain towns in the UK where, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go back without, without security because, because <laughs> once you, once you've mangled someone's waitrose, um, customers, uh, certainly loyal waitrose customers have very long memories and very little forgiveness. Um, I, I, I always remember going into, into Sirencester store on the day that we'd refurbished it and we had moved an awful lot of stuff around. And a and a, um, a bloke uh, or a guy came up to me who was who I, I would have suspected was probably in his late eighties or early nineties and and asked me where where we moved the biscuits to. <laughs> and, um, I politely walked him very slowly around two or three aisles and got him to his biscuits and found the right ones and he just turned to me. He's beautifully, you know, beautiful sort of suit on and the rest of it. And he just turned to me in his attire and he just said, I understand exactly why you had to do this. He said, I just wish you'd waited till I died. <laughs> and, um, and I think that kind of stuck with me whenever we then mangled stuff. Because if, if you just, you know, we used to basically refurbish stores to a sort of generic template and it was a disaster because um, 
because the to a to a loyal customer there is no generic template that there's their shop yeah it's true so obviously you've been in the industry for quite a long time now what have you learned along the way what's one of the biggest lessons you've sort of learned I, I mean part you know age kind of weathers you a bit doesn't it and I mean I, I, if I think about what I could have done or, or you know if I'd learned for example to um to pay greater um, respect to my superiors at times than I would have probably um, probably been in, in in different positions but but actually um, uh, you know I, I was brought up to believe that authority had to earn its own respect rather than just be um, supported unquestionably unquestionably <laughs> so um, um, so I think um, I, I think you probably learn certainly over time you learn that actually, um, no matter how much you've developed, no matter how much you've learned, you you remain you can't completely escape your genetics and your upbringing. And 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 you know, I, I was um, uh, I did one of those surveys a few months ago that sort of actually said, "What well, what what should your uh, career be?" And I'm the son of a of, of a scientist and a musician, and um, and the survey came back and said I should either be a scientist or a musician, which, um, we, and, and I think that's, you know, I think you, you learn self-awareness, you learn probably to accept your strengths, um, and, uh, and accept that you're not going to have some other ones. Um, um, and you learn to listen, um, if you didn't know how to do that in the first place, which I, I suspect I didn't. Um, and, and I think you also, if you if you're smart, you learn um, you learn to retain a, a really brutal objectivity that that just um, I, I, which I think is critical with customers. I think I think um, you you have to be open minded to everything and curious. Um, and I and, and it disappoints me when I find that that people have kind of switched off that that bit of their brain. Um, but you you have to be brutally objective, and you know I, I think this is a good time for that. I, I mean, I, I for example, I, I you know led a a lot of flexible working over the last few years. I insisted that everyone in my team was able to work flexibly because because it was all there to be done, um, you know, and it and it helped everyone and it gave them a better balanced life. And 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 um, and it, it surprised me that it's taken this sort of the sort of COVID shock to kind of turn that into a world um, sensation. But I think if you look at stuff, I mean, you know, you can look at stuff now, like, I don't know, the recruitment industry, which is, let's face it, just terrible and um, and completely unfit for the kind of purpose that it should have. You know, at some point that will get sorted out. If you're objective and you look at it, you know it's bad. Um, um, but it's, it's going to, potter on in its own way for a bit a bit longer and then um and then it'll get sorted and i think it was the same with with um you know with retail you know you knew that um existing modes of retail physical retail uh weren't right and i th- and, and i just think you you know the thing i've i've learned to to act on a bit quicker is is when you get that inkling when you know that convention is is not is not there anymore where, where something needs to change you, you you should get in there and, and, and get a closer look and 
and try and get ahead. So what role do you think brands play in society? Um, uh, I, I don't know, what do you think? I mean, I, I, well, I, I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting question because I, I don't, I have a view, but I, but it's not something that actually um, I think about a lot. Um, do you think other people do think about it a lot? I, I actually think at the moment, I think with some of the big um, tech brands becoming, you know, really mm. quite influential, more, more. Uh, valuable or profitable than whole sort of uh, countries now. And they really are, you know, becoming, you know, quite powerful in the world. And I think the way they set their ethics, their sustainability stance, the way they talk to customers, I think is becoming, you know, quite influential, more so than it ever has, you know, and that's going to be interesting, you know. Yeah, I I, I guess my... I, I, I... I guess my my probably sort of naive take on it is that if um, you know, I mean, do you remember that episode of Friends where um, uh, Phoebe and Joey you had a huge argument about um, there being no such thing as a selfless good deed? I everything you did that was good had some level of self interest in it. Um, uh, I kind of, you know, I'm not totally cynical about it, but, but if it's down to the people who make your trainers or sell your deodorant to up your aspirations for the world, then then that just feels like a bit of an indictment to me. Um, you know, I, I, if you know, if it's down to Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's to tell us how to behave, then 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 what that really tells me is that our politics and our education have failed us. Um, because, because I, I mean, I agree. I think the, those huge, um, those huge entities, the as you say, the Googles and the Facebooks of this world, have um, outgrown sort of national boundaries and 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 will, you know, if if not pinned, they're going to dominate things to a pretty pretty unprecedented degree. Um, but I think that. Um, you know, and 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 they won't all be bad, but actually, you know, I would rather we had um, a better balance where 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 we were taking some serious leadership from from our politicians and from our educators that that um, that meant that the brands perhaps didn't have to fill in quite so many of those gaps. Yeah, it's true. So how uh, my, my my take on my take on brands? I mean, you know, I I guess is. You know, it's bad, isn't it? I mean, in the end, it, it's a sort of satisfy. It's a sort of quality standard and a satisfying thing. You know, there's a reason I never eat McDonald's in this country, but always eat it when I go to somewhere where I don't speak the language. Which is, you know, I <laughs> recognise it and I um, and I know it's not going to make me ill. Yeah. So, how optimistic are um, you at the moment yeah. for the future? You know, so what do you see yourself a year from now? You know, obviously there's been a lot of doom and gloom and things like that in the papers, but how optimistic are you for the future? Um, I, I think um, that's a it's a really hard question again because I think I mean some people 
you know, and I don't denigrate this. I mean, a lot of people find um, find it very hard to cope with, as you say, a period like this, which is having, you know, on an individual basis, is having some pretty profound effects. We've been relatively well shielded, so uh, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm quite good at appreciating life as you live it. So, um, so not getting too up or too down about stuff along the way. Um, so. So I don't think, um, I, I, you know, I hope that we have some new leadership in one or two big bits of the, the world that, that allows everyone to start working together to better degree, because that, that would be helpful. Um, I, I'm really excited about um, getting my head into, into the, the cost of work, and, and, uh, and I hope that within a year there's some real fruits coming out of that. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is... This is I mean, you know, aside from that, you know, this is where, if, if I'm being really honest, um, the next list of priorities are to keep the kids going forwards and to get the kitchen extension done. I mean, it's it's <laughs> that kind of, you know, it, it, and, it, and it's not meant as a to be flippant. It's just that I don't think being, you know, I, I, I think you want, if you know, you want to keep on rolling and, and if you, you know, don't be... Pre- don't pretend to be profound if you're not. And actually, um, I think we're we're lucky. We, you know, we've got our sort of relative health and happiness, and and, and so you want to hold on to that. So, do you think the world needs some bold thinking? Um, yes, um, uh, certainly. Where where big and difficult things are um, are going to have to be attempted and achieved. Um, I, I, I would put it again. This is uh, I, I don't know how helpful this is, but I, I think um, I think it, it needs. I, 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 what I don't want to do is confuse boldness with um, intelligence and a sort of general lack of ego, um, because because I think sometimes you you hear about boldness or you hear. Um, uh, you know, someone telling, what was it the other week, we're going to have a world-leading system for this or so on. I, I, you, that's not bold thinking. That's that's bullshitting. And actually, um, so so I hope that there's a sort of calm intelligence that, that descends with um, sort of more introverts and more women and more respect for intelligence and, you know, fewer fat bullshitters in charge and and because actually that that's probably what we need i, I think we we you, you know you need you need good bold intelligent thinking but frankly what you really just need is is good um intelligent people um able to work together yeah no i love that listen thanks anthony for chatting today so thank you for listening to bold thinking entrepreneurial stories honestly told uh, join us next time to hear more from people making positive change in the world thanks anthony it was really great to hear from you Thank you.